Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So everyone knows that the Fed came out with their decision, keep rates the same, and they came out with their statement, which most of the market perceived to be very hawkish. So Jerome Powell went from being dovish. Now, all of a sudden, he's hawkish again. So you would expect that the 10-year Treasury would have skyrocketed on the news because he's going to keep rates higher for longer. And we know that the Fed controls all the interest rates. <laughs> but what happened? The 10-year Treasury tanked. It tanked. And I'm talking about the yield. So this is a big deal. I want to go through what happened, the details, then I want to connect the dots at the end of this video. So let's start by going over to Zero Hedge. Let me do a screen share. So Zero Hedge, got a good article. I believe this came out yesterday. Hawkish Fed hammers dovish market. No cuts imminent. And they also remove something from their statement that I think is extremely, extremely important. But the whole gist of what we're talking about is the Fed comes out just like Zero Hedge says they're very, very hawkish. And they're saying, nope, forget about these rate cuts. I know the market has priced that in, but that's all nonsense. So we're going to keep rates higher for longer. And therefore, you guys should expect all interest rates to behave, do exactly what we say. And then the 10-year treasury came out. And we, oh, that's the two-year. We got the 10-year treasury came out. And this is the last five days. You can see basically what happened. The 10-year treasury gave Jerome Powell the middle finger and said, oh, right. You want to keep rates for higher for longer? Mm, yeah, that ain't going to happen because we're going to go and take rates lower. And then we are going to force you to follow us. Why? Because we understand the economy. You, Jerome Powell, and your 900 PhDs do not. And a lot of people will come out and say, yeah, George, but the, you know, the Fed, they, they control the front end of the curve. They control the front. Uh, but do they? So let's set up a, a, a hypothetical. Let's go back a few years in American history when there were no, well, white people. We'll, we'll forget the politically correct stuff. There are no white people here. It's all just American Indians, right? And I'm assuming each one of these tribes would have some sort of witch doctor or whatever they called them. And let's just assume that the tribe and all these people believe that, man, that guy can make it rain. Uh, literally, not just go to the strip club with $1 bills. <laughs> but this guy, he can make it rain. Every single time he comes out, well, my goodness gracious, we do get rain. But what if the witch doctor doesn't start dancing until it's already been raining? Can we honestly say that the witch doctor caused it to rain or is the witch doctor just following what the clouds are already doing gunlock points this out all the time that if you look at a chart going back the fed just follows the two-year and it's not that the two-year follows the fed because the two-year goes down and then the fed goes down so the two-year drop precedes what the fed does so do they control interest rates i don't know does the the does the indian guy control the rain does he control the weather or is he just responding to it? And then all the other Indians look at him and give him the credit. Anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. So we've got the 10-year treasury yield giving Jerome Powell the middle finger. And let's keep in mind that the main thrust or the main catalyst, let's say, 
that drives the 10-year treasury yield is what? Growth and inflation expectations. And a lot of people think that it's all about, it's just supply, 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 George. Jeff, you know, the, the, the government is going to run these massive trade deficits. They're going to go up to 10, 12% of GDP. They're going to be like that forever. And if we get a recession, who knows? The deficit, the deficit as a percent of GDP could go up to 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 100%. And look at all the unfunded liabilities. Right. And that being said, over the last three years or so, the government has issued an additional, an additional $10 trillion plus worth of debt. And let's not forget, they issued way, way, way more than that. It's just a lot of people were rolling the debt over. You see, so I'm talking about the additional debt on top of the debt that they're issuing every single year to roll over the debt that was maturing. So the point there is there is massive demand. So what drives demand? Why is it that the government can issue $10 trillion worth of treasuries in two years, and we still have the 10-year treasury yield at more than 125 basis points? In fact, it's getting to the point where it's getting close to 150 basis points under Fed funds. So it's not, excuse me, it's not like the 10-year treasury yield is predicting that future growth and inflation is going to be 3.8%. No, 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 no. Remember, I've been doing some videos on this guy, on this topic specifically. If you guys didn't see those, remember, there's always a risk premium in there, right? So if we look at the Fisher equation, we know that it's just nominal interest rates equals real plus inflation. Okay, well, that real is basically growth. And then the nominal, we can substitute that for whatever the market is willing to lend at. Okay, but the marketplace that's doing the lending, they don't want to just get their money back. No, they want to get have a profit. They want to return. And by the way, this is a, a, an opportunity cost for them. There's risk and there's costs in actually doing things other than holding cash. Just admin costs, for heaven's sakes, right? So there's going to be a premium on top of the Fisher equation. So let's just say that that's 4%. Well, if it's 4% and interest rates are at 3.8, what that's telling you is that expectations for future growth and inflation is negative, negative, not zero, negative, right? So that's just part of what we are seeing with, or that's just one of the main takeaways that we get from the 10-year treasury giving Jerome Powell the middle finger just to put it in real simple terms <laughs> or in technical terms. <laughs> All right. So now let's look at what's happening to the two-year treasury yield. And let's do a five-day on that as well. So we're kind of comparing apples to apples. And that, oh, there you go. And this is really, this is almost as interesting as the 10-year because Jerome Powell is sitting there saying, we're going to keep rates for longer. And the two-year would probably be, uh, you know, obviously closer to the, the front end of the curve there. So I think the two-year, again, it goes back to what Gunlock says all the time, that it's kind of bringing the Fed down, saying, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, buddy. You think that you're going to be raising interest rates, but no, 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 look over here. What I'm telling you is that you're not, that you're going to be lowering them. And it's not that I'm telling you that you're going to be lowering them. What I'm telling you, first and foremost, is the economy is unhealthy. See, that's what we got to remember. This, What the bond market is signaling isn't, first and foremost, what it thinks the Fed is going to do. It's signaling what it thinks the economy is going to do and therefore what the Fed's going to do. We, we've, we've got to get those in correct order. So the two-year treasury, even though the Fed's coming out hawkish, 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 is going down exactly 
like the 10-year treasury. Now it's, uh, let's see here. So this has gone down. I believe the 10-year treasury has gone down a little bit more. So we've got the inversion increasing slightly, which is what we can see on this chart. Uh, it's it's kind of tough to see, but right here, this, this is since January 25th, we see that inversion increasing slightly. Now let's compare this to some of the things that we've heard from other central bankers over the past couple days. Let's go over to Bank of England, Chief Hints. The market could be getting it right on rate cuts. So what is he saying? He's saying that, yeah, you know, me and Jerome Powell and, and Lagarde over there, we're coming out and telling the mainstream media that we're going to be hawkish and we're going to keep rates higher for longer. And the market is basically calling bullshit to excuse me for the kids that are watching, <laughs> but that's basically what the market's doing. And he's saying, you know, kind of behind the scenes that, well, you know, the market's always been right in the past. And uh, I, I, I see why it's saying that. I see why it's giving us the, the middle finger. Key talking points. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey on Thursday signaled that financial markets may be correct. <laughs> Imagine that. You mean the market? The bond market is correct? Well, that's something new. It's only happened every single time since 1950. Imagine that. So he's speaking at CNBC. Bailey said that he was not going to comment to specific timeline for rate cuts, but added that he did not object to the market's consensus. <laughs> I'm not going to give a view on how many cuts there will be and when there will be cuts, but I think that the view the market is taking is not one I object to. And I'd like to remind you, we've got inflation over 3%. Now, I know this is, he's talking about England, but I think, look, all these guys are reading from the same script here. Let, let's be honest. This is all synchronized. If you think that somehow the Bank of England and the ECB are acting independently from the Fed, I mean, come on, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. So, He's, so we can use this basically as a proxy, what I'm saying, for the United States. And so if inflation, the CPI, the headline CPI, is still over at 3%, let's remember the Fed's targets too. In fact, under two. So the, the Fed target isn't necessarily two right now, but it's getting it under 2%. All right, well, last time I checked, we ain't there. So why are we even talking about interest rate cuts? Why is this guy even talking about them? Don't you have inflation to fight? Don't, don't you have to summon the ghost, the spirit of Paul Volcker? Why, why aren't you doing that? I mean, why aren't we trying to get inflation? Why are we waving the white flag when inflation is still over 3%? That's my point. You say, well, George, my good interest rates are high. Well, are they? Are they? You think historically the overnight rate being 5% is high? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then you say, yeah, George, but the, the terminal rate whatever, G-star, whatever the hell they call it. Well, that's saying that the overnight rate should be at, uh, let's just say, uh, you know, 3% or some, or let's just say that it should be at 2% or something like that. And if we do that, then we're going to have, or if we leave it above 3%, let's say, and inflation is at 3%. Now, all of a sudden, whew, we're going to have a big problem. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, because we've got real, we've got positive real rates as if somehow that's a problem, right? This is the argument that you get. Well, my gosh, George, if, if we've got, uh, 
uh, interest rates above the rate and well, that's positive real rates. And so if the economy is booming, if it's on fire, if it's running on all eight cylinders, if what we really have to worry about is the economy overheating, then why should we, we be worried about positive real rates? That, that, that should be standard. That should be normal. And by the way, the curve should not be inverted. <laughs> it should be very, very steep. So you can see that although we've got Jerome Powell talking hawkishly, we've got this guy, Ooh, I don't know, a little bit more dovish. Now, let's go back to Zero Hedge because we're not done there. Let's go down to something that I find very interesting and telling, by the way. And this is the Fed's statement or the revised statement that they made. So when they come out, and I don't really know how this works, but I know every single Fed meeting, you know, they do that on Wednesday. They come out and announce on, uh, uh, or do they do it on Tuesday, announce Wednesday, something like that, right? Uh, but then they come out and they give this statement. And then I, I guess you can see the revisions. And Zero Hedge has posted the revisions, which you can see here that have been that are red and have been crossed out. Well, let's look at this revision right here. This is very interesting because this revision says the US banking system is sound and resilient. Huh. I wonder why they would cross that. Or I wonder why they would take that out. I wonder why that was redacted. You would think if Jerome Powell's hawkish, higher for longer, or the economy's booming, is the banking crisis? Banking crisis? Are you crazy? No, no, no. The banking system is so solid that we're just going to leave the BTFP, or we're going to take away the BTFP. We're going to let it expire March 11th. That's how much confidence we have in the U.S. banking system. But we're going to go ahead and omit this sentence yesterday that says the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. Again, if the U.S. banking system was sound and resilient, why would they omit that sentence? It's a rhetorical question, right? So now let's switch up the screen share because I want to go over to CNBC. You guys are going to love this because if you guys were watching yesterday, we did a video on a bank that I'm sure now you guys have all heard about. It's this New York Community Bank. And I don't know what the share prices did today, but yesterday they were down by like 35%. At one point, they might've even been down by 40%. And they came out and said, well, this was a result of, oh, we just had to have more reserves and we had to do this and we had to do this. And if you guys remember the video from yesterday when I was talking about this, I said that, how did you not see that one coming? Remember, I think I made the joke that back when I was an entrepreneur, I would have done more due diligence on buying a laundromat, for heaven's sakes, when these guys went out and basically bought the assets liabilities from Signature Bank. So when you're going through all this due diligence, you're telling me that you didn't know that in whatever, six, nine months, that you would have a, a different set of regulatory uh, hurdles that you would have to overcome? I mean, come on. This is complete this nonsense here. Who's buying this? Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as 
Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So let's go over to CNBC and check this out. This is a guy that they interviewed. I believe this was, yeah, this was yesterday. The guy's name is Bill Martin, and he's a, a short seller. I think that he, and he specializes in the banks. And he's hyper-focused right now on the regional banks. And so they're going to talk about New York Community Bank. But I, I want to watch this, and I'm going to comment periodically here. But I, I'm not going to play the whole thing. But I want to watch this and kind of try to look at it through the lens or the framework of what we talked about yesterday. How the conclusion is that the next wave of the banking crisis, is it imminent or has it started? Uh, we have no way of knowing that definitively. But what we do know is that the banking crisis isn't over. Why? Because we know that this is just simply a matter, the way the banking system is set up, the way the monetary system is set up, it's just based on two things, risk, confidence. That's it. It's not based on bank reserves or the Fed or anything like this. So if you assume that, let's just say on a scale of one to 10, the risk or perceived risk in the system prior to March of 2023 was a five. Okay, well, March 2023, it went up to a 10. But then the Fed came out with the BTFP. Does that mean that the amount of risk went right back down to a five? No, 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 no. It's still at an eight, which means higher than five. If it's higher than five, that means that we're still a lot closer to the next phase of this banking crisis, regardless of what the Fed is doing. Because at the end of the day, they can only do so much. The market will overpower whatever it is they do. And we know by looking at the reserve amounts prior to the GFC that the banks weren't even using reserves. Why? There had to have been some disadvantage to settling on the Fed's balance sheet, or they all would have been doing it, right? So what we can assume today is that there is still a disadvantage to using the Fed's balance sheet. And the number one disadvantage is it, gonna, is it means it's going to basically excommunicate you, or potentially, from the entire system, the network that actually produces liquidity. That's the banking system. That's the monetary system. And it looks like New York Community Bank found this out the hard way. But let's go through this CNBC uh, clip here and just look at how baffled all the announcers are, the talking heads. They're just, they don't even know what to do with themselves. Why? Because they don't understand that the system doesn't revolve around the stupid Fed. For heaven's sakes, the system revolves around perceived risk. And if the risk is going higher, I, I don't care. You know, New York Community Bank can make all the excuses they want. But the bottom line is this crisis is becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. By the way, predicted the fall of SVB last year. Bill, great to have you here on the show. Thank you. What was your take on, I don't want to say the excuses, the reasons um, behind the New York Community Bank Corp's poorly received earnings? 
I woke up this morning thinking I was going to go long the stock. You know, it's been such a forgiving market that I was tempted to uh, to go long. But you know, digging in, uh, it's it's a mess. It's a real mess. What stood out to you? Because it it seemed like there were things that they were citing in their call that people should have known about or they should have known about, namely the two loans um, that were the primary reasons for the write downs, and then also you know the interest rate environments, which is not necessarily a surprise, um, and you know, having to increase the reserves because of regulatory scrutiny. All those things seem like you could have forecasted that a little bit better. And to be clear, I didn't watch this video yesterday. I just saw it for the first time this morning. So when this gal is saying this, I'm like, yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, maybe she watched my video from yesterday. I don't know. But it's great to see that at least she's bringing this up because I think these are the, the talking points the topics that should be addressed here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been a forgiving market. You know, the banks have all bounced. Uh, investors have kind of forgotten about a lot of the issues we had last year. But rewinding, uh, NYCB had issues, you know, early last year. And uh, you saw regulators and the FDIC step in. And actually, uh, that signature purchase really was of low-cost deposits uh, to to, in some sense, I wouldn't call it a bailout, but to shore up NYCB's balance sheet in there. Isn't that interesting? So his take is that New York Community Bank absorbed Signature to get their low-cost deposits. And I don't know how that deal played out. I don't know if that's the only thing that they bought. I thought they bought everything, but maybe they just bought those deposits. And in his view, that could have bailed out New York Community Bank. They might have gone down in March of 2023 as well, if it wasn't for that transaction that obviously now is coming back to haunt them. And this is the whole point, isn't it? Isn't this the whole point? That they can sit there and kick the can down the road, but no matter what the BTFP or the Fed's balance sheet does, at the end of the day, if there was a bank that had a problem back then, it's most likely at some point going to have to pay the fiddler. Rubber's going to meet the road. Why? Because the risk continues to go up. And if the risk continues to go up, the liquidity shrinks. It dries up. The only thing the Fed can do is react, respond, and they always do it too late. The lending situation. So there was a lot on the call that just didn't make sense as you're talking about. Um, First of all, that they opened the presentation with their accomplishments for the quarter or for the year, I guess it was. I still really don't understand what what made them change their classification on these two loans. How big are they? What was the problem? They talked about non-accruals, but valuation. One's an income, you know, one's income, one's valuation. I didn't really understand. I didn't understand what they were saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it almost reminds me of Enron, doesn't it? You know, a company is likely in trouble when they start getting let's say, clever with the accounting? I mean, I, I, look, I think bank managements like to try to whistle past the graveyard if they can, and everyone's been trying to pretend that there aren't credit issues out there. And the commercial lending issues are slow, but they're there and they're starting to ripen. All right, so this seems to be New York Community Bank specific. Let's just play that for a second. But He's not nodding his head yes, by the way. He's just <laughs> sort of listening to the question. <laughs> <laughs> So I like that part. The guy chimes in and says, yeah, yeah, he's not agreeing with you there. Bill Bear's been on the show. She's been concerned for quite some time. It was almost a year ago where we saw three different banks over the course of a couple of weeks. Is this the beginning of something or is this completely isolated? 
Well, look, cycles take time. And the issue all these banks have been dealing with over the last year is net interest margin compression and uh, funding cost pressures. And so I think what you saw today was actually in New York, uh, they had uh, a lot of uh, continued pressures on funding. And they actually... What do they have? Oh, continued pressures on funding. What does that mean? So if the risk for the overall system was going down, and it is true, it's an individual by individual basis, but I'm talking about the banking system as a whole. But if it was going down, and assuming that this bank was just staying the same as far as the perceived risk, would they have funding issues? Why do they have funding issues? Is it because there's not enough bank reserves? No, it's because no one's willing to extend them credit. No one is willing to give them that liquidity, regardless of how many stupid bank reserves there are, regardless of the BTFP, regardless of these tools that the Fed has, right? And let's go back to the uh, person's original point there when he's talking about, is this an isolated instance? I think we can answer that pretty conclusively, right? Because what was the argument back in 2023 in March? Oh, George, you're just fear-mongering that this is just an isolated instance. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank, look, they did some stupid things with the balance sheet. Now they're paying the price, but this is, this is no reflection whatsoever of some sort of systemic risk or what's happening with the banking system as a whole. And then a few months later, another bank goes, but and that, that they've gone bust yet, but we see more cracks in the system, more cracks in the system, more cracks in the system. The fact that we're seeing all of this come to the surface, I think answers the original person's point or answers his original question on whether or not this is isolated. The amount they drew on the federal home loan bank spiked again. And so they're still dealing with the same issues the industry's been dealing with over the past. I'm sorry to keep stopping here, guys, and I'll, I'll let it play a little bit longer. But you hear what he said that New York Community Bank accessed what? What was that? Oh, the Federal Home Loan Bank, where somebody on YouTube talks about that all the time. Hmm, I wonder who. <laughs> but you guys, yeah, obviously I'm joking here, but you guys have watched my videos over the last few weeks. You know that this is kind of the steps that we've been talking about, right? It starts at the Federal Home Loan Bank, then it moves over to BTFP, then it moves over to the discount window or primary credit. That's what they're trying to brand it now. Past year, I think what short sellers like myself are focused on moving forward is when does the credit shoot drop? And that's been slow so far. But but so back to is it New York Community Bank or the KRE, which obviously got hammered. Now, it's a big waiting. You can probably do the math and a lot of it's there. But uh, I'm looking at a Jeffrey's note and they so they they use the term idiosyncratic characteristics. So but some of those idiosyncratic dynamics, including uh, a meaning should have been worried about all along. Yeah. So this is uh, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit more of the same because I want you guys to listen to the point that he makes here. And again, let's think about this through the lens of risk. And if perceived risk is increasing, we know that this banking crisis is not over. Well, you know, in 2008, the banks we focused on on the short side were banks that aggressively grew their lending <clears throat> book, particularly in the residential and construction areas. And, uh, you know, those were really the hallmarks of the banks that ran into the biggest issues. And I think when you look at banks that have really aggressively loaned, grown their commercial lending books this cycle, and NYCB is a great example of that. They bought a you know, significant mortgage originator at the top, and they bought uh, a lot of rent-controlled loans from Signature here. Um, you know, they are banks that you know, are going to face issues. Uh, however, it's just been a great environment for the economy. See, so let's rewind here. He was obviously on the short side with banks in 2008, 
He said he, because they had massive exposure to the residential housing market. And now it's the exact same thing with these banks having massive exposure to not the residential, but commercial, right? So uh, I, I'm not saying that this means that there's a GFC 2.0 that's brewing, but you can obviously make the comparisons. And at the end of the day, we had the GFC, not because there wasn't enough bank reserves, but because risk skyrocketed to the point where even if there was a, a, however many reserves that the banks weren't willing to extend credit to other banks. And the Fed can paper that over, sure, absolutely. Can the Fed bail out a bank? Sure, they can bail out a bank, which would definitely be anti-deflationary. But that doesn't solve the problem. Even though it brings risk down, it doesn't bring it down to a level that it was before. And the punchline here is this is exactly, in my view, why the 10-year treasury yield is going straight down while at the exact same time, the Fed is coming out and saying that they are going to leave rates higher for longer. Again, you can sit there and extrapolate whatever you want from the yield curve. But I think the main thing that it tells us, that the main signal that these prices give us is what's happening in the underlying economy. It's telling us what's happening in the banking system. We don't need CNBC. We don't need Zero Hedge. You don't need the George Gammon channel or the Rebel Capitalist channel to know that the, that the, the risk in the system is increasing. All you have to do is look at the information that is being given to you by prices. In this case, the price or the interest rate on the entire treasury curve. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. I'll see you on the next video.